0: and now they have to cover Bijan John Robinson and a uh, scrambling Casey Thompson. That's scary.
1: What's up, everybody? We are back. Welcome to another Game Week edition of the Mainline Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Burton, joined, as always, by Adam Jacquez and Orton We've got a jam-packed show on tonight's episode as we recap a really good Oklahoma win over Kansas State this past Saturday, a performance that was much better than what the final score indicated. Uh, So we're going to break all that down and then look ahead to one of the biggest and best weeks in all of college football, OU Texas baby, Sooners Longhorns on Saturday, inside the Cotton Bowl, College Game Day is going to be on site. And guys, I feel like I say this every year, but this season's matchup feels like this is one of the highest anticipated matchups in the series in quite some time.
0: It's 7.46 p.m. on Tuesday, and Texas still sucks. Uh, Yeah, it's a big game, and it does feel very highly anticipated, especially with the first matchup between Lincoln and Sark. So uh, we'll see what we get.
2: Yeah, Tyler, I was actually kind of surprised. I know you texted in the group chat um, earlier this past weekend that you were kind of surprised game day was headed there. To me, I, I honestly wasn't. It's the chance for ESPN to showcase their two brand new SEC teams. Seemed like a no-brainer to me. Um, But yeah, I mean, any surprise that Texas was ranked heading into this week? Nope, they wanted it to be a ranked matchup. Uh, so ESPN's got everything they want, and I'm sure a great game will follow.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's just so many storylines. I mean, you've got Sark versus Lincoln. It kind of feels like the fans down in Austin. They feel like they have the guy, the right guy at the at the head coaching position. And then Casey Thompson, it seems like uh, every single uh, news channel that's been up here on the radio, Casey Thompson, his background and growing up as an Oklahoma kid, Charles Thompson, his dad, you know his career and uh, a you know very good career here at the University of Oklahoma. But guys, you've got an up and coming Texas squad that's played very well since they made the decision to go away from Hudson Card and you know plug in Casey Thompson into that quarterback position, going, going up against an undefeated Oklahoma team that while they are five and0 yes, hasn't looked at all like what we've seen from OU teams in the past. So a lot of storylines and a lot of things to look forward to going down, going down in Dallas this weekend.
0: Yeah. And before we jump, you know, really deep dive into OU Texas and what that matchup could look like, we do have to kind of look backwards and kind of review what the uh, game was in Manhattan. I know Tyler and I were both there on site, one of our favorite road trips. Um, Hopefully we get another chance. At least I would love to go back there, but might not, Uh, might be the last trip to Manhattan for the Sooners. And I'm curious what your guys' initial pulse on just the overall win was. Was it a good win? Was it a more like I, – I know it was better than Nebraska-West Virginia, but how do you guys feel coming out of Manhattan?
2: I feel the complete opposite of how I felt um, in previous weeks because I think as time has gone on, I felt less and less positive about it, which sounds strange. Um, but I think I was, like, relatively pleased. Obviously would have loved the defense to have – had a pulse of any kind throughout that game for the most part um but offensively something we've been you know hammering our heads against the wall for ever since the season began we finally saw at least some positives um to take away but guys i mean even when we have the positive then it's like okay now the defensive side of the ball is is the one slipping up so Credit to the offense for basically winning that game for us, um, you know, and the defense, I guess, did just enough um, to kind of hang on. So we'll dive into it more, but I, I almost felt opposite. I feel less optimistic now than I did, I think, Saturday after the game was over.
1: See, I feel pretty good about it because we've lost this team the last two years in a row. It doesn't matter what year it is. Going up to Manhattan, that road trip's kind of always a thorn in our side. That's a really tough place to play. Adam, you hit the nail on the head. You know, Aggieville, Manhattan, fantastic college town. Um, we've been there the last two years and just a fantastic road environment. Student section pretty crazy. Uh, a lot of provocative, a lot of really, really bad stuff. Uh, shout out to Eddie Radosovich for capturing all that. But no, I think Oklahoma took a major step um, in this game on Saturday, particularly on the offensive side of the football. Watching this game unfold in person, and Adam, you can speak on this as well, I think it was one of Spencer's best performances so far in an Oklahoma uniform. He was calm, poised, quick in his decision-making, and Adam, you could tell watching him play the game that he had that swagger and that confidence back, very much like what we saw at the very end of last season. He was playing with with what looked like a tremendous amount of confidence, and that was good to see the offense kind of get back a little bit more towards playing like themselves, especially going into a big weekend like this one down in the Cotton Bowl on Saturday.
0: Yeah, offensively, it felt like there was a pretty big shift and a change. And I think Lincoln kind of took a, a big step back after that West Virginia game and reassessed everything. We saw a complete change in not only the play calling, but, you know, who was in the game. Kennedy Brooks became the bell cow running back, which I think a lot of us saw after week one, you know, hey, he's the best runner between the tackles. Eric Gray needs to be more of a complimentary role um, or at least, you know, more uh, you know, catching the ball out of the backfield. Um, in unique use cases there, but also just getting Spencer rather on rollouts, on bootlegs um, outside of the pocket, and I think that really helped his just traditional dropbacks too of feeling more comfortable stepping up, timing, and everything. It looked a whole lot cleaner on offense.
2: Guys, I was stunned at the first half. I mean, we we tweeted it out at halftime the the difference in in yards between the teams, difference in time possession. Case State obviously converting three or three fourth downs in the first half. And you look on paper. If you would have taken away the score, you're like OU's down by at least ten points, maybe more. You know, if you look at you know K State had 230 yards, OU was at 140. K State had over nine minutes more possession in time in the first half. Um, you look on paper, and K State dominated that first half, and yet OU was up at halftime. Um, so I think you know that was if there was maybe one thing. Uh, that stood out above the rest to make me a little more optimistic in a game that, you know, for those first two quarters were completely one side. As far as stats were concerned, this team held on and did what they had to do to still be leading at halftime. Um, so I was a little more optimistic, I think, heading into the second half. Um, but guys, you just you keep waiting for this team to put it all together um, for one game. And if they could do that, this team could be really good. We've just yet to see it.
1: Yeah, starting on the offensive side of the football, as far as the positives go, I mean, it starts with Spencer Rattler for me. I mean, 22-25, 242 yards, two touchdowns. It was great to see him getting back on track with a guy like Marvin Mims. So we've seen a lot of uh, not just him, but his family as well, voicing their frustration with how he's being utilized in the offense through five games. So it was good to see him get back on track with Marvin. I thought he had his best game of the season so far. And I thought it was a great game plan by Lincoln getting Spencer out of the pocket, a lot of play action bootleg concepts where Spencer was able to make the throws on the run, something that I think he does better than most quarterbacks in the entire country in terms of college football. And then, Adam, the running game, the zone running concepts pay dividends for this offensive line. Kennedy Brooks averaging over six yards a carry, 15 for 97 I thought that Kennedy looked the best he has in an OU uniform on Saturday with the way he was able to run the football, his vision, making guys miss, running through arm tackles. I thought it was really good for Kennedy Brooks on this one. And, guys, kind of my biggest takeaway from the offense, it was nice seeing Jeremiah Hall out there. He More than just a blocker. I thought he was a weapon and a playmaker in this game. Loved how Lincoln got him involved offensively. And, I mean, with positives, there's definitely some negatives that you've got to kind of take away from it as well. Offensive line – penalties by this unit continue to hurt this team Chris Murray had a false start and a holding penalty Marquise Hayes had a holding penalty and then Tyrese Robinson God love him he's playing you know probably the best out of any lineman on this group but two false starts one holding and the personal foul penalty at the end of the game that ultimately led to Kansas State being able to return that kickoff for seven and make this a nail-biting game and it was a weak uh, call
2: by the way between that one and the one on Marvin Mims, the block in the back on that final drive. Yeah. Those were some of the worst calls I've ever seen in my life.
1: As good of a job as Kansas State's replay crew did, they didn't show anything on that play where Marvin Mims got the push in the on the, the block in the back call. No but bad. just watching Lincoln's reaction and Dennis Simmons and even Marvin pleading his case, you know, it was kind of kind of obvious that they feel like that they didn't do anything at all. But guys, watching Tyrese Robinson commit that personal foul penalty, that was the most fired up and furious as I've ever seen Lincoln Riley on the sidelines. He took a page right out of the Bob Stoops playbook. He chewed his ass out coming off the field, kind of took five, 10 seconds. And then he went back over to the bench and found him again to give him a little bit more, but um, you know, offensive line penalties. I've got to clean that up going into this weekend. And then the big play opportunities they're still not there. Yes, we had the 40-yard deep pass to Marvin, but we saw it time and time again. The biz- biggest example was you know, Spencer dumping it off into the flat. I think it was Jeremiah Hall or Braden Willis. But then you look right behind him, and Mike Woods, is. there's nobody within 15 yards uh, in terms of him going down the sideline on that go route. So you've got to figure out a way to generate more big plays, especially going into this weekend where big plays are, are always uh, uh, um, you know, uh, an indication of who's going to win the game in Dallas on Saturday.
2: I don't, I don't mind the lack of big plays as much when there's consistently like medium sized plays taking place, right? Like they marched down the field basically at will against Kansas Mm -hmm. state throughout the game. So I don't mind. There wasn't quite as much the big monster plays, but guys, I mean, that's the best the offensive looks all year in my opinion against a a quality team. So if we can continue that, I'd be pleased. Yeah. I don't have too
0: many gripes about the offense. Yeah. The offensive line can clean up um, and they can do a lot better job. Um, we're starting to see some progression. It looks like my actual, uh, biggest gripe was with the play call that ended up in a touchdown was the reverse to Jeremiah hall. What your slowest skill position running a reverse on third and short. I just did not like that at all. I didn't it ended think up, he was going to get there. Yeah. It ended up working out, but it just felt situationally like that was not a good idea to do that on third and short because mm-hmm. those reverses can be big, you know, TFLs, especially when you're running your fullback on that. Uh, so I just didn't love that, um, but it, it ended up working out. And I think we saw our best, most complete offensive performance uh, mm-hmm. from start to finish there. So it gives me a lot more optimism heading into the cotton Bowl.
2: Even with everything that great happened on the offensive side of the ball, you still shake your head at the Spencer Rattler interception. I mean, it's like, what are, what are you throwing to? I know, I, I know it was third and long and Mike Woods probably could have helped him out and made that, that interception not take place. But, guys, it's back to what we saw pretty frequently up to these games. He's throwing into three three guys on mm-hmm. one receiver. So, as great as it was, there's still like that little morsel of like, I don't get it.
1: Yeah, but also at the same time, too, it was third and long. You know, percentages weren't in your favor, you being able to pick that up. So, in all honesty, that was as good of a punt. I mean, him being able to throw the ball down there. And, yes, it was picked off, but it was inside the 10-yard line. You don't want to see him throw that football, but, okay, it's kind of an, kind of an okay trade off because they are pinned deep down into, into their part of the field. But Adam, what did you guys, or what did you think this play happened right in front of you? First series. OU gets the ball. It's second and goal down at the one yard line. And, and uh, Caleb Williams comes trotting out there.
0: I chanted, we want Spencer <laughs> and uh, no one chanted with me. I'm very disappointed that no one was supporting the starter because it is illegal, illegal to uh, say anything negative or criticize the college football player. still um but yeah i thought that was odd the way i mean i thought it was odd that lincoln put him in the game just at any point because i think that opens up that door of oh we might see something amazing and it didn't really happen because of the snap uh you know happened but it was odd too in the second half when he threw him back in there to just throw a screen off to the side i don't don't really understand that it got us what 18 yards or something but Mm -hmm. it was very strange
1: Yeah, and and I mean, I guess, you know, flipping it over to the defensive side of the football, I mean, obviously there's a lot more negatives uh, coming out of that game than there are positives. But the one positive I had, guys, was the fact that OU's defense, we were able to hold Kansas State's running game down, keeping the Wildcat running backs in check. Deuce Vaughn was held to 58 yards on 15 carries. Joe Irvin, 38 yards on seven carries. Now, while we were able to hold Deuce Vaughn in check in terms of the handoffs, can't say the same thing in terms of him in the passing game. You know, he had over a hundred yards just in receiving and it was just frustrating time after time watching him come out of the backfield. Yep. There he is. He's open. Yep. There he is. He's open. Okay. There's another 15 or 20 yards. So Kansas state going eight of 15 on third downs, four or five on fourth downs. And the one fourth down they went for and they missed was a fourth and 13 where the receiver caught the football. Ultimately, I know the ground sh- 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 kind of changed the trajectory a little bit, but I mean, 8 of 15 and then what, what What was almost 5 for 5 on fourth downs, that is going to kill us this upcoming Saturday.
2: Guys, it was it was quite amazing because if you were listening to Gabe Biker tweeting out, Sooner Scoop tweeting out, I mean, you would have thought Skylar Thompson was in a wheelchair. Like, there was like, no way, he doesn't look like he's playing, and he goes out and throws for 320 yards. So the kid's either superhuman, and we've seen that time and time again that he just blows up this defense. We've seen that for the past few years. But it's also like if he really can't move, then how is this actually happening? Uh, like 320 yards for a Kansas State offense passing is quite impressive, especially when you have a guy like Deuce Vaughn in, in the backfield. So it's, it's just – if there was a game you thought, oh, you could just kind of pin their ears back, and if they can control the run, which they did, this game would be in hand pretty easily. And then as we've seen – as, yeah, as we've seen time and time again over the past few years, whether it was Mike Stoops or whether it's Alex Grinch, you know, we get beat through the air all all yeah. game. That's what it felt like. And you're right; a lot of those were did feel like dump offs that just kept drives alive and things like that. Um, but yeah, a lot to. And then you look at you know Alex Grinch's post game comments and uh, pretty I'm hot. Curious how, yeah, I'm curious to how the pra- practice went this week. But mm-hmm. I would I would expect a better performance out of this defense heading into next weekend. But at the same time, you're looking at a much better running back in that Texas backfield than what you had in the K-State backfield, which will create a very interesting matchup.
0: It's scary, frankly, because, you know, for this game, you can run the man coverage and turn your back to an immobile Skylar Thompson. Next week, you're not going to be able to do nearly as much of that you're probably going to run a lot more zone, which the linebackers, frankly, haven't been able to cover that all year. Uh, And then in this game, you know, they were completely inept at finding Deuce Vaughn out of the backfield, the most important player on the field. And he's wide open half the time in the flat um, or, you know, within five yards of the line of scrimmage. Like it shouldn't be hard to find him and just have a hat on him. And we didn't have a defender there pretty much at all.
1: And I think one of the biggest frustrations for me watching that game was the defense's inability to capitalize on opponents' mistakes and create turnovers. I mean, we saw him drop two interceptions that were critical. In the term in terms of the overall score of the game. I mean, the first dropped interception, OU was up 3-0. And Skylar Thompson, for whatever reason, throws a deep ball all the way across the side of the field. Looks like it's floating in midair. Key Lawrence hits him right in the hands. I don't know if they teach you not to catch the football playing defensive back at Tennessee, but he drops it and then Kansas State scores on fourth and goal, six plays later, to put him up seven to three. And then you move later into the second and a half where OU's up 27 to 10. Kind of feels like they have controlled this game. And Jane Davis makes a great play. Maybe got a little uh, got away with a little bit of a defensive pass interference, but he jumps the route. Ball hits him right in the hands, and he drops it. And then the very next play on third and goal from the seven, Shane Witter's eyes follow the complete wrong guy out of the backfield, and Deuce Vaughn scores a touchdown in the dump off from Skylar Thompson. So linebacker play was below average and inconsistent from Oklahoma on Saturday. And, guys, I think we've been saying that a lot so far this season when it comes to this position group. I mean, they continue to struggle in pass coverage, whether it's man coverage, whether they're playing zone. I thought Deshaun White played pretty well going back and looking at the film. I thought he's you know kind of put two back-to-back weeks of good performance together. But Brian Osamoa, David Ugwebu struggled all day in covering Deuce Vaughn out of the backfield. Ten receptions, 104 yards. K State made it a point to get him the ball out of the backfield on swing passes. And, you know, guys, we saw time and time again Deuce was catching the ball out of space with without an OU defender within even five to ten yards of him. That is very concerning going into this upcoming weekend with B. John Robinson coming up next.
2: Well, let's even take it out of the passing game. Let's take a, a quick peek of, cause you, every, everybody's been hyping up this front seven and that's great and all let's take a look and credit to Eddie Rodos, for putting this out. I think it was on sooner scoop of like what these linebackers have done tackles for a loss wise so far the season. Brian Osmo has zero. Deshaun White has one and a half. David Aguebu has one. Shane Witter has two. Danny Stutzman who has played in three less games than any of those guys has 0.5. So he's right in the wheelhouse of that. And he's played three less games. So it's more, it's more than just the passing game. Everything should be, you should be wanting more out of this linebacker group because they've got the skill to do it. Mm-hmm. And we have not seen that at all this year so far.
1: Well, it's not so much that they're missing tackles. It's that they're not making plays. Correct. Like, I mean, I, th- we talked about it for the longest time. I think that the front seven or the, the defensive line, while they didn't have the best day on Saturday, they're hiding a lot of deficiencies and a lot of, you know, inability to make plays by this linebacker and core and, you know, we're going to talk about it, t- you know, 20 more times throughout the rest of this podcast, but with B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson, Steve Sarkeesian should be fired if he doesn't at least throw the ball 10 to 15 times to his running backs coming out of the backfield. That's something that OU struggled with all year long. I don't know why Brian Odom in that group hasn't been able to figure it out. I wish we would, we could be able to talk to Brian Odom and maybe kind of, you know, get a few or pick his brain a little bit as far as the schematics and, you know, responsibilities of the linebackers in certain coverages, but, they got to get that figured out this weekend and they got to do it fast.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned a lot of guys that we're not too high on. So maybe we should wrap this up with a little bit of a stock up, stock down scenario here. Uh, Tyler, lead us off right. here. I'm curious to see if you've got uh, some linebackers on your stock down. Uh, yeah. I, I
1: had Brian Osamoa, you know, going back and watching the film, whether, like I said, whether it was man coverage and his responsibility was deuce coming out of the backfield. Not getting out there in time, not following the running back out there, or in zone coverage where he's kind of playing the zone that he stands in when the snap originates, and he doesn't follow the quarterback's eyes, or doesn't follow the the either the receiver or the running back coming into his area uh, in terms of coverage. That was concerning for me. And then I I already said their two names: Key Lawrence and Jane Davis. You know, Alex Grinch preaches turnovers. You know, turn, turn, turnovers equal victory. Um, if you have a chance to make a play, go catch the football. Give OU another possession. Lincoln Riley is visibly frustrated with the fact that his offenses are only getting seven or eight possessions a game. When your defense has an opportunity to change the field and get a turnover and give the ball back to Spencer, you got to make plays like that, especially in big games.
0: You got to stock up. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: yeah stock up. Uh, Kennedy Brooks looked like Kennedy Brooks. Thought that was his best game of the year so far. Justin Broyles. I thought he played really, really well in in run game. Um, you know, coming up and uh, and tackling the the running backs uh, going out into the perimeter, um, and then guys, Gabe Berkic. Feel like we say at time after time, um, he's the best kicker in college football. Came up big for Oklahoma again on Saturday, and um, we're gonna need him again this weekend. Well, don't
0: pick the whole roster, uh, Tyler, because uh, Corbin and I still have to take a turn here.
2: Uh, Corbin, who you got? Yeah, about 75% of the people I had on here already taken. Uh, so stock up for me, uh, you have to say Spencer Rattler, right? I mean, we've been dogging this kid for the first four weeks of the season. He finally comes out and plays well. I've already you know, laid out my grief about the one bad pass, but you know what? 22 of 25 really efficient and guys I, I joked with you all um, you know in the group chat was like does Owen Field need artificial turf because Spencer actually looks somewhat athletic uh, you know up there <laughs> in Manhattan at least he was more decisive when he was gonna run he decided to run get what you can get and get down mm-hmm. I'm good with that all day long the numbers don't really show much I think he got sacked a couple times but guys for the most part like That's I I agree. That's one of his best games in the Crimson and Cream. I think on um, the defensive side of the ball, even though the stats really don't show much, I did see a lot of Ethan Downs. I thought he had probably one of his best game Mm -hmm. of the year so far. Consistent pressure, consistent effort. There's one guy that, you know, Grinch probably wasn't referring to as far as practice reps. Um, It's probably him. I just don't see that guy ever slowing down. And as far as stock down for me, guys on the offensive side of the ball, it's the number one wide receiver. Whoever you want to make is as the go-to guy in the wide receiver um, position. I don't think we have one. And I think that does um, present some issues as we go along in this season that if Spencer Rattler doesn't have a guy, I do wonder if that's going to cause some issues down the line. We've talked about it in previous podcasts. Almost always in a Lincoln Riley offense, is there one or two guys that are the go-to group? If you look at what's happened so far, game in, game out, it's been kind of receiver by committee. And so I do wonder if at some point if Spencer doesn't have that guy he can go to every single time that we really need a catch, really need a first down or a big play, I wonder if that starts showing its head in a, in a negative way.
1: I agree with you on that, but also at the same time too, Oklahoma didn't reach 20 snaps in that game until the very very end of the first half. So It's kind of hard to get your receivers, you know, more involved, you know, being able to focus in on one guy, getting five to six, you know, receptions, getting the ball. Um, But but yeah, I I think that if Oklahoma can kind of get back to where the defense is not giving up seven, eight, nine minute drives and we're able to get back into those 10, 11, 12 possession games, I think we'll start seeing some more big plays and see some more production uh, from the wide receiver room.
2: I think that's more of what we've seen so far over the entire season. And now it's just kind of at the point where we're five games in and we still don't know who that kind of that number one guy is. That's kind of why I'm kind of leading it to that perspective, but Adam turn it to who to you, who you got on stock up, stock down. Yeah. I have a little bit different perspective there because my stock up is Marvin
0: Mims. I thought there was a concerted <laughs> effort to get him the ball uh, for once. Uh, and so I thought that was, you know, just getting him back on track and going in that direction of making him the go-to guy or one of the go-to guys. Mm -hmm. So this was finally a game that I felt like the play calling, like Lincoln kind of stopped overthinking things and started going back to, you know, what worked last year. And I like seeing that. And Marvin Mims is a big part of that. Uh, From a stock down perspective, it's Jaden Davis for me for all the reasons we just mentioned. You know, he's kind of been thrust in there and there's not – a whole lot of guys behind him. Maybe Latrell McCutcheon can start, you know, stealing some playing time from him, but please, you know, he, he he had the dropped interception. Uh, he gave up a touchdown in zone coverage to Landry Weber, who uh, who Derek, the guest we had on last week, told me is the Drake Stoops of K-State, which is mm-hmm. basically because he's wears number 12 and he's a white, white receiver. <laughs> but that uh, on fourth and goal, Adam? Yeah, it, it might have been. It was in that uh, north yeah. end zone there on awesome. the left side of the TV screen. Awesome. Yeah, and it was like he's just standing there covering nobody in zone coverage. Um, You would like to see a lot more out of him. So that's my stock down. Mm
1: -hmm. Corbin, last thing before we transition over to Texas, a big play in this game was the the debacle of the onside kick that Kansas State did recover. It was reviewed twice. I had a guy two rows in front of me. He he was listening to Toby Rowland on the radio call, the guy that was sitting behind me. He was on the phone the entire time with his son, that was watching the game back at home. So whenever the the onside kick went, whenever it went under review, I was kind of surprised because it was pretty obvious to me that the ball did travel ten yards. But you were kind of you were um, presenting the TV side of things in the group text and talking about it. So just kind of what happened in terms of what the uh, the announcers were talking about. I'm sure they had a rules analyst come into play. What were they, what were they talking about?
2: Well, it's it's always bizarre when when regardless of the situation or scenario, when you can see something on the TV that they're not talking about and you're like, like, wait a minute, like it's right there, but obviously there's no way for us to communicate with announcers. So Twitter was all over it. They were like, he kicked the ball twice and it was clear as day that he did. So basically what happened when they went under review the first time, um, they were strictly looking at the the 10 yard, did it go past 10 yards? And that's great. But my, my question is, why does it take somebody else to come in and say, Hey, look at this as well. Right after you reviewed it to have them look at that. Like if you're a referee and something's under review and if it, if it, if there's a clear and obvious mistake in the call, I don't understand why that couldn't have been the whole way through. So shout out to, you know, Twitter, they were all over from the start. The problem was, I don't know if anybody actually knew the rule is like, does that, I mean, it still was in his kicking motion. So like, can you touch it twice um, it was, it was kind of bizarre that nobody, it, it seemed like it was wrong, but I don't think anybody was like 100% that you can't do that. Um, but I think after, you know, they had uh, the rules analyst on and were specifically reviewing that, then it was pretty, pretty obvious. Like, yeah, this is going to be overturned. So shout out to Lincoln Riley and whoever he's got up there on his, uh, his ops team to, uh, take a look at those things. Cause they were spot on it from the start. And that was a huge turning point in that game, uh, to kind of take the momentum back from K-State. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, if if you don't get that if you don't get that ball back, and I think you know Lincoln hit the nail on the head when talking about it in the post game. He wasn't arguing the fact that they needed to review the play to question that the ball didn't go ten yards. It was the fact that he had somebody, whether it was a coach up in the booth, up in the press box, that went back and saw the replay. It was the fact that he did kick the ball twice. Um, K State fans did not like that ultimately, but it was the right call, and and I'm, <laughs> for our sake, I'm glad it was made. But. Um, guys, now, now that we've kind of put a bow on on K-State, it is time to, to kind of preview OU Texas this upcoming weekend. OU favored by three points. I think the over-under on this one is set at 63.5. So, Adam, before we dive into the X's and O's and look at these two teams, as they how they match up together on the field, I want to ask you a little bit about OU Texas now. Ultimately, you were a kid that kind of grew up on the East Coast. What were kind of your first memory uh, of OU Texas and why this is such a special game to you?
0: Yeah, my first memory is uh, my very first OU football memory, uh, which was my cousin listening to the game uh, via radio uh, on the East Coast through the Internet. And I asked him what he was listening to, and he told me that OU was cream in Texas. And ever since then, you know, it's been all Sooners from there. So um, experienced a lot of highs, some lows along the way. Um, because I don't think I experienced my first loss until about four or five years into my Sooner fandom. And uh, that was really hard to process at that point. So hopefully we don't have to go through that all over again on Saturday. But, um, you know, really special over the last couple of years is I've been able to go to that game in person a lot more. A really fun weekend. Um, It's an absolute blast. So looking forward to doing it again.
1: Corbin, what does this game mean to you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to go to this game. I think it's eight or nine times now. Uh, thankfully, we have a winning record in those years. So uh, as miserable as some of those losses have been, uh, I've had more celebrations than the people in Burn Orange. Guys, it's, it's, to me, I don't even think I'm biased in saying this. I think it's the best game in college football um, year in, year out. Would it be awesome to have this as a home and home every now and then Sure. I can see the benefits of that. But being in the middle of the state fair, having a, a wax cup beer and a corn dog, at, you know, 8 a.m. in the morning, like there's nothing quite like it. Um, so it's it's been super special to me. The first time I actually went, uh, ironically, I didn't actually have tickets as a student, um, but the game was so, so big of a blowout. I think it was in 2012 that people were just like leaving the game on both sides. And we actually just grabbed tickets from somebody and went back in and saw the second half uh, of the game. So uh, ironically also like the, the, The best seats I've ever had—I sat about the 45-yard line. I actually had Coach Kruger's tickets uh, back when I was the equipment manager. And OU just got whooped. So the best seats I've ever had in the Cotton Bowl was actually a really, (laughs) really terrible experience. Uh, So you know, it's it's a special game, and uh, you know, that's one negative of living out here in Colorado. So I don't get to you know have that game within driving distance when I want to go.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I completely agree with you. You know, for me, outside of the Masters tournament. That week, you know, that that golf tournament, this is the best week in all of sports for me. I mean, this one kind of hits home for me. I kind of have a different perspective on it. I grew up as an OU fan in the state of Texas. So going to school, all your buddies are either Aggies or Longhorns. OU Texas week was always something where you caught grief. And, you know, guys, I went to two or three OU Texas games before ever seeing a game in Norman. I didn't know what OU football was in terms of a home game. I always thought, okay, it's OU Texas. It's the State Fair. It's the Cotton Bowl down in Dallas every year. Uh, But guys... When you get to college, and Corbin, you can speak on this, OU Texas was the weekend that you looked forward to most the entire year. I mean, the campus shuts down on a Friday. Everybody fights the traffic together going down on I-35 South. You go out on Friday nights. You're mixing it up with with OU and Texas fans at the bars and the restaurant. And, guys, outside of the game itself, the pageantry – and the atmosphere surrounding this game is what does it for me. At the fair, the the rides, the booths, all the fried foods. I, you know, we we've grown accustomed to it being OU fans with eleven a.m. kickoffs. Nothing better than an uh, eight a.m. wax cut beer and, and a Fletcher's corn dog to get things going. But no, you got to get there early. Watching the buses drive through the fair uh, is always really exciting with the with the uh, uh, the mascots and the bands falling right behind him. And then when you walk in that stadium and you see the split right down the 50, half of it in crimson, half of it in burnt orange, it's an exciting feeling, and you're you're ready for this game to kick off. And, guys, the exciting part about this game, and I think it's even more true this year, we can watch these two teams play. We can break down the film. We can try to predict what's going to happen, but ultimately we have no clue in this rivalry game, and that's why it's a hell of a lot of fun to be in that stadium uh, to watch it unfold on Saturday. And I think this weekend's going to be no different. It's going to be a fantastic game, and can't wait to see how it unfolds.
0: You mentioned that uh, we really can't predict it, but I know you, Tyler, I know you have predicted this game in the past and you have predicted some OU blowouts, which I think is uh, probably your next point there. Is that what you're, is that where you're, I I guess we're doing score predictions later, but Mm -hmm. are you feeling that?
1: I think if anybody has a chance to get blown out this weekend, I can't believe I'm going to say it, but I think it's OU. I think Texas has the, uh, the opportunity Um, If OU can't fix some things defensively, I know that big plays is something that we are very familiar with in the Cotton Bowl. Um, You know, whether it's a Jordan Shipley uh, kickoff return to kind of change a game, uh, making big plays in the passing game, you know, Baker's got his, uh, has got a handful of those with DD Shep uh, and Hollywood, but, uh, I mean, I'm curious to see what the pace of this game is going to is going to look like. I mean, we've seen three weeks in a row where OU's defense can't get off the field on third downs early on, so teams are having seven, eight, nine, ten minute drives. OU is averaging eight total possessions the last few weeks, and guys on Saturday, Manhattan, Corbin, you said this earlier. We didn't start our third possession until one minute and thirty seconds left in the first half. That can't happen on Saturday. I don't think Texas is going to try to grind it out like Nebraska, West Virginia. Uh, and Kansas State did. I don't think that suits what Sarks wants to do offensively. But I think getting into a track meet style of game with Oklahoma, if they can, if they can score points on offense, I think that favors OU. But in terms of who has a better chance of getting blown out, I, th- I think Oklahoma does. Honestly,
2: I actually I don't think Texas wants. Well, let me rephrase this. If if I'm Texas, I want the shootout. I I looking at their numbers, their stats, how they played. Um, I, I want to tell Oklahoma to try to score with us because if, if Texas is scoring, you just got to wonder, can, can know, you do the same. That's the the weird part about Texas right now is the fact that since Casey Thompson's taken over, they have looked solid. The problem is, is the competition itself hasn't necessarily been great. So how much this is just a little bit of smoke and mirrors of what Texas really is. But I mean, guys, if you look at, you know, Bijan Robinson alone, and we talked about this a little bit when we were talking about Deuce Vaughn a little bit ago. Guys, he's averaging seven, almost 17 yards a catch. That's a huge, huge, huge opportunity I think Texas can ride. Um, I do think Bijan, unfortunately, probably does have a big day, um, and we can kind of go from there. But, Adam, I'm specifically curious, you know, when you look at kind of the advantages of, of both of these teams, where do you kind of give the edge to, to OU? Where do you kind of give the edge to Texas? Man, it's so tough because I I still feel like I really don't know
0: who this OU team is. And the pace of play is really important in this. I, I think we'll see something very different than what we've seen through the first couple of games. I don't think Texas is going to try to grind it out. If they do, that's really out of character for them. So I think uh, a faster pace of play is actually advantage OU because it provides more opportunities for Casey Thompson to screw up, essentially. Um, and I think... Spencer Radler can outplay him. So I think that's an advantage. There's just having a more experienced quarterback um, and us having a very experienced defensive line can really start to fluster a guy like a Casey Thompson, maybe after a couple of sacks, if we can actually generate some of that pressure, like we're expecting them to be able to do, um, then I think that can be a huge advantage for us.
1: Yeah, I've got going back and again rewatching a couple of Texas's games over the past couple of days. I think that there's three advantages for Texas that come to mind um, when these two teams line up on Saturday. Obviously, number one, it's the guy playing the running back for Texas, B. John Robinson. He's the straw that stirs the drink. I mean, he's averaging 166 uh, total yards of offense, close to two touchdowns every time he takes the field. And, you know, he's coming off of a game against TCU where he was the bell cow. He was asked to carry the ball 35 times, had a career high, 216 rushing yards. And guys, he is so dangerous out in space. We thought that we think that Deuce Vaughn is, and again, fantastic player. Slippery, his agility, his quickness is, is second to none. Now, B John is a little bit a te- little bit different type of back in terms of his size and stature, but um, Sark does a great job in terms of finding ways to get B John involved, especially out of the backfield in the passing game. His open field playmaking ability, he's probably the best in college football. You guys, We're going to see a lot of jump cuts, a lot of spin moves uh, from B. John on Saturday. And guys, a quick stat, since 2000, Texas is 5-1 and one when they have a running back go over 100 yards against Oklahoma. So if I'm Alex Grinch on Saturday, my number one priority is stopping B. John. May Casey Thompson prove that he can beat you with his arm for four quarters? I don't want to look up on Saturday and see B. John running wild. He's going to get his. He's going to have his fair share of plays. He's too good of a player. There's a reason why he's a top five guy in the Heisman Trophy conversation right now, but you've got to find a way to stop the running game and make Casey Thompson beat you over the top.
2: It really comes down to me is is can OU control the line of scrimmage with their front three or four, right? Because at this point we realize whether it's in, in pass defense or rush defense, linebackers aren't going to do anything to really help out. Um, so it really does count come down to that D line and what they're able to do in this game. Um, guys, Texas averages 45 rush attempts per game. They're going to run the ball. They're going to run the ball. They're going to run the ball. Um, and so that's, to me, the game within the game is the the running game uh, versus OU's defense. Now positives is the OU defense gives up 83 yards, you know, on the ground per game. One of the best rush defenses in college football. Um, but we, we, we do wonder and I'm going to be honest like I think Casey Thompson is much better or excuse me yeah Casey Thompson is much better than Skylar Thompson is he's got more weapons around him he's got the ability to be mobile like you mentioned Adam earlier um and so I think I think that can be a game changer if we do shut down the run but we let Casey stay loose especially on the outsides, moving around the pocket um that is a concern for me is his his mobility but um and then you do you do look at okay if the defense perform similarly as they did in Manhattan. You have to imagine this is probably going to be a high scoring game. Can the offense keep up? Um, the good news is, is Texas defense is is not great uh, based on what we've seen so far. They give up about 224 passing yards per game, uh, about 174 on the ground. So there is going to be opportunities for these backs to have a field day. I am curious on both of your thoughts on this. So we have seen so far this offense, whether by design or what we saw last week in Manhattan kind of have limited possessions. If you are Lincoln, and obviously this depends on, you know, how the game is being played and how it flows, but are you kind of looking to shorten the game a bit? Like you are our defense at their best, you know, has an opportunity to, you know, make plays and and to stay fresh. And I think that that kind of evens field, but if you get into a shootout, I I just don't think that favors OU at all.
0: Yeah. The way I look at it is, it, for sure, I, I think is a little bit more comfortable of a game plan for OU to have those lengthy drives. We saw it against West Virginia and Nebraska, where we had opening drives that went for seven, eight minutes a, a pop, and I think that can be really frustrating to a team like Texas, an offense that wants to be on the field and run up and down. So, I think that that really can help us out. Um, you know, the the K State game, I think was probably about two plays away from uh, you know being uh, you know a comfortable win that we didn't ask too many questions about. And because of those two plays that didn't go our way, it really made it a scenario where we started asking more of those questions and saying, okay, maybe this defense wasn't really, you know, as good as we thought, at least in that game, you know, because they just got run up and down the field. They had fourth downs converted constantly. And now we can kind of look back and say, oh, that's kind of been a trend a little bit um, throughout the year. So I'm very concerned um, just as far as what the defense can do. You know, they couldn't cover Deuce Vaughn and no running quarterback, and now they have to cover Bijan Robinson and a scrambling Casey Thompson. That's scary.
1: Yeah, I mean, Sark, he loves to go tempo and use a lot of different formations. And, Corbin, you, you were talking about Casey um, having, you know, a much better – supporting cast in terms of weapons to be able to throw the football to compared to what Skylar Thompson had. And that's kind of my second advantage that I see Texas having this game. It's Texas's wide receivers versus Oklahoma's DBs. It all starts with Jordan Whittington, uh, Joshua Moore, Xavier Worthy. Xavier Worthy, he's a true freshman. He's kind of – he's being utilized the way that Sark – did with Devontae Smith in terms of down the play passing game. Um, and guys, I think with so much emphasis going to be put on stopping Texas's run game for Oklahoma to have success on Saturday, guys like Latrell McCutcheon, DJ Graham and Jane Davis are going to have to be able to cover down the field along with coming up and helping making tackles when B. John or Roshan Johnson break containment, and get outside. But like I said, Sark is going to do a lot of different things. He's one of the best play callers in all of college football. I think that's why a lot of people are so excited about this matchup. It's seeing Lincoln versus Sark. Um, They do a lot of run-pass option type things, getting Jordan Whittington involved out of the slot. Um, They love to pull the ball, hit him on the quick slant or a go route down the field. Uh, So I think that in this game, Jordan Whittington versus Billy Bowman is a matchup, and it's going to be something that you'll want to kind of keep your eyes on. And then, Adam, before we just kind of turn this over to advantages that we see Oklahoma having, it seems like in this game, special teams, there's always one play that is made by one of these teams that ultimately impacts the outcome of it. So one thing that I'm going to be keeping my eye on is – Gabe Burkich kicking the ball out of the back of the end zone. Deshaun Jameson for Texas, the kick returner, is one of the most electric players in all of college football uh, in terms of returning kicks. So after seeing what OU, what they were unable to do this past weekend covering kicks when uh, when Gabe wasn't able to get it out of the back of the end zone, that concerns me a lot if I'm, uh, if I'm Joe John Finley and the special teams guys uh, for Oklahoma.
0: I guess in regards to advantages OU has, we kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, but... Having Spencer Rattler, who started and played in this game before, having Lincoln Riley, who's coached in this game several times already, um, there's just a lot of experience for this OU team coming into this game. Whether they've played great um, you know, football in the last five games, or whether they haven't, or whether they haven't played complimentary football at all, um, you just like that this team is experienced and knows what to expect. And Texas has you know, some new faces and some new places, or maybe some guys that haven't actually played on the field yet. So uh, that's definitely a big advantage
2: for OU. Yeah, guys. I think um, one thing that we've seen so far throughout the season is is the depth of the defensive side of the ball. I think um, while it hasn't always been pretty, you know, we are rotating a lot of guys in a lot of different positions, excluding safety. Um, and so I do think if this game does start to go Texas's way, where a lot of plays are being had, and what is supposed to be a really hot Cotton Bowl on Saturday, I do think that does give. It's crazy as it sounds that they may need it. It may give OU a um, a strong advantage late in that game to have some fresher bodies when they may need it if this does get into a shootout type um, of environment. So um, I, I, I hope this offense can continue what we saw on Saturday. We're certainly going to need it. I think this team has to score a good amount of points to really, um, stay in this game. So I think, I do think Texas will score, but, um, but hopefully guys, regardless of what type of game it is, the fact that we've got some established depth on the defensive side of the ball, that that can uh, pay some dividends. But, um, to kind of wrap things up guys, I know as as Tyler, as you mentioned, we could, we could analyze OU Texas all day long. Um, I I do
1: want to, I do want to make one, one quick point to, to kind of put a bow on this before we make our betting picks. Um, Looking at this game on paper, I think OU has an advantage, both offensively and defensively, in the trenches. Um, One thing to kind of keep an eye on, Texas lost their best offensive lineman last week against TCU uh, with left guard Denzel Okafor. He did suffer a season-ending injury. Uh, We saw Sark move the right tackle, Derek Kerstetter, to left guard. And that brought a true freshman, uh, Andre Carrick, to that starting role. So having a freshman at right tackle and a freshman at center should make guys like Perrion Winfrey, IT, Nick Benito very excited because if Oklahoma can stop B. John and get Texas into obvious passing downs, I think Oklahoma's defensive line can get after Casey Thompson a little bit. And to me, this position battle, OU's defensive line versus Texas' O-line, this is the key to the game for both teams.
0: Yeah, it needs to be a jailbreak scenario. I mean, this is uh, you know all the hype in the preseason. uh, You know, some level of success so far for this defensive line, but this is where they're going to earn that money on the next level. Um, You know, they come out and just dominate uh, Mm -hmm. and and make a difference in this game, basically shut things down.
1: Hey, hey, Corbin, does Texas's rushing defense being ranked number ninety-four in the country? Does that give you any confidence at all, or it's still just kind of a wait and see with this offensive line that we have at OU?
2: I think it's a a wait-and-see still because, heck, guys, we could run the ball really well, but if these offensive linemen can't get out of their own way with penalties, uh, it it may not matter. Um, So it's a a wait-and-see. Hopefully this – we talk – guys, I mean, how many times have we spoken on this about the pod? Like Texas typically is the game that all this starts to come together. If it is, I think we can we can win this game by a few scores if it's not, I can see Texas you know running up the score on us too but guys, I think one thing that you know doesn't need to be said is this game does matter so much more beyond just the uh, the white lines around that stadium. Um, so you know I do think this is a, a huge game for recruiting. We all know that Texas recruits recruits around the country for whatever reason are always just, wanting Texas to be good and Texas to be elite. If Sark can come in um, with, you know, Casey Thompson as a undefeated starter for him uh, and, and come and, and lay a smack on OU, that's huge in the recruiting game. Now we can pick apart what Texas does or doesn't do whenever they get elite recruits on campus, but at the end of the day, um, you know, this matters. And for Lincoln to come in and say nope, you know, regardless of the prestige that Sark has had with with Alabama coming to Texas and all the you know early success he's had like we're still the top dog in this conference and in this in this region I do think that's really important uh coming Saturday but guys let's move on uh to this week's uh, edition of beers and best before we kind of pick our our scores uh, for the Red River rivalry and this weekend so just a quick recap um Adam two and three last week myself three one and one and against all odds. Tyler Burton coming out with a three, one, and one week. Before we get to the picks, no, <laughs> say it again. I will not say it again, but I'm going to give you your moment uh, as a person who is 12, 17, and one for, I believe, your first winning week of the season. So, Tyler, the floor is yours. How do you feel? Do you feel confident heading into this week? Like, give us a breakdown of just the, uh, the complete 180 mentality you must have going forward.
1: It's a great feeling, uh, feeling. It's definitely unfamiliar territory that I find myself in, obviously, you know, going three, one, and one, obviously wish, uh, Texas wouldn't have pushed that, that game against TCU four and one would have looked a lot better, but I uh, can't complain. Uh, this definitely beats the one and fours and the two and three type weeks that I've had leading up to this point. So kind of feel like, uh, I've got my mojo back and we'll see if we can do it two weeks in a row.
2: Well, let's kick it off. Adam, uh, week six, is that where we're at guys? Week six, um, First pick in this week. What do you got going on your side? Yeah, I've been on a little bit of a backslide.
0: Still have a winning record, Uh, but I do have some really good picks. Even going back to Wake Forest as my uh, uh, sleeper for the ACC, let's uh, completely (laughs) forget that I picked Wisconsin to go to the playoffs. Uh, Number one, San Jose State, two and a half point dog at Colorado State. Colorado State played Iowa tough, but they did lose to Vanderbilt. Um, They have lost to an FCS team. And they are, I think, 89th in giving up passing yards. So I think Nick Starkle's is going to be able to find some success and win at Colorado State.
2: Yeah, guys, rarely in the college football season do I find myself just overly lost. But I can promise you two weeks every year that I find myself in this mindset is when Kansas is not playing. So, you know, I don't know where my, my focus is going to be at this week. But to at least start us off, um, Coastal Carolina minus 19 and a half at Arkansas State. That line is big. I don't really like it um but I do think Coastal's pretty good and they've they've treated me well so far this year so Coastal minus 19 and a half
1: Yeah uh, first pick for me I'm I'm going to the SEC I'm going down to College Station um it's it's just been a fantastic last couple of weeks for for, for me being able to see kind of the the start of the downfall for Texas A&M's 2021 season losing back-to-back games against Arkansas and Mississippi State and here comes Alabama rolling into towns. And I know Haynes King got hurt in the game against Colorado, but even then, that Texas A&M offense wasn't putting up crazy numbers. And in this one, guys, honestly, I think Alabama will win this game by as many points as Nick Saban wants to. Kyle Field is going to be rocking at kickoff, but if Alabama can jump out to an early lead, then you'll see the 12th man die down. Um, Zach, Zach Calzada, A&M fans, kind of seems like they've given up on this guy. I think Alabama's going to blow them out on Saturday in a big way and cover that 17-and-a-half.
0: Along those lines, I've got Georgia. They're playing at Auburn. They're a 14 and a half point favorite. Bo Nix was incredible last week, but he was really bad the week before that. And this is Auburn. So it is very much up and down. I think he's going to have a lot of trouble going up against that uh, tough Georgia front seven. So I think the dogs, regardless of who plays quarterback, I think they can cover that 14 and a half.
2: Yeah, if there's one thing, um, you know, I can be certain on outside of Kansas not covering spreads, it is the fact that Bo Nix is going to have one or two games a year where he looks like a Heisman candidate. There's one of them, uh, you know, against LSU last weekend. So, um, yeah, I've got Georgia as well, minus 14 and a half. It feels so good that it makes me slightly worried for it. Uh, So, yeah, dogs minus a little over two touchdowns. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I've got that game as well. Uh, Georgia minus 14 and a half in this one against Auburn. Georgia's defense has scored more points than they've actually given up uh, sure. in terms of their starting unit, which is just mind-blowing considering we're five weeks into the season. So I don't trust Bo Nix whatsoever. Yes, it is tough to play at Auburn. On the road, Jordan-Hare is no small task, but uh, 14 and a half. Georgia's the best team in college football, in my opinion, right now. That defense is one of the best that I've seen in a long, long time. So uh, give me the dogs to cover the 14 and a half on Saturday.
0: I'm going to the pac 12. Uh, it's not after dark. It's going to be in broad daylight, Oregon state traveling to the Palouse at Washington state. They're a three and a half point favorite. They've every game that they've won so far this year, they've won by more than three, except for uh, last weekend when they, uh, hosted Washington, I think Washington state has a far, uh, inferior talent than Washington does despite all their struggles, uh, Washington state hasn't really been able to prove that they're able to score the ball. And that's something Oregon state does really well. So I think the uh, Beavers are going to cover three and a half.
2: Yeah, I'm going out to big 10 country. I'm really not sure if Michigan is good or if they're just kind of riding a wave of beating some, some mediocre teams. Um, but I'm not a huge believer in Nebraska. The fact that Michigan is only a three and a half point favorite does give me some concern that this is kind of a bait game for Vegas, but I'm going to ride, uh, the maize and blue and take Michigan minus three and a half uh, at Nebraska. But I, I guys, I think that game might be a little closer um, than, uh, than what you probably think just looking at on paper.
1: That's a night game too, isn't it?
2: It's a great question. It might be,
1: I think it is night game sold out in Lincoln. That should be a really good atmosphere and a tough one for, uh, for Jim Harbaugh and them. But uh, next pick for me, I'm going Memphis plus three versus Tulsa. Tulsa got embarrassed last Friday night uh, at home, losing to Houston 45 to 10 uh the Memphis Tigers they will have to rebound I know that they've lost back-to-back games last weekend 34 to 31 lost to Temple um but I like I like Memphis here so quarterback Seth Hennigan he's thrown for over 1400 yards 10 touchdowns uh and Brandon Thomas leads away for the Tigers on the ground with uh, over 500 yards so I think in this matchup kind of curious to see why Vegas is doing this but I think the wrong team is favored here so give me Memphis plus three against the Golden Hurricanes on Saturday
0: Speaking of Memphis, they lost last week to Temple, who I have picked here. They're a 29-point dog. They're playing at Cincinnati. It's a Friday night game, short week for the Bearcats after a really big win, probably the biggest win in program history. There's a lot of news clippings out there. They basically have punched their ticket, so to speak, to the playoffs at this point. So covering 29 is going to be tough against a, uh, you know, a decent Temple team, uh, especially after that short week.
2: Yeah, I'm going back down to college station right where you were at, Tyler. Uh I do like Picking Bama. the Aggies? I uh, no, definitely not. Uh do like Bama minus 17 and a half. I do think, like you said, Bama can pick the score in this one. I do slightly worry about a little bit of a hangover game. I think that old Miss Bama game from last weekend was pretty hyped up. Clearly it had Bama's full attention. Uh so I do worry, you know. Bama on the road uh, into a, a big time environment, you know, against a struggling AM team? Will they be fully mentally there? Even Nick Saban's teams have had games where they are just, you know, kind of come off a high and then play mediocre. So I think even Bama's mediocre covers this. Uh, so give me the uh, roll tide minus 17 and a half.
1: Yeah, next pick for me, um, I'm going to the game of the week in in the Big Ten. Penn State traveling to take on Iowa in this one. These teams are very, very similar in my opinion. Elite defenses and a lot of question marks offensively. And although for Iowa, I really like their quarterback, Spencer Petras, what he did on the road last Friday night at Maryland, scoring five total touchdowns. The fact that I can get this game at less than a field goal is what tips the scale for me. So give me Iowa and that defense to cover the two points against Penn State at home at Kinnick on Saturday.
0: My last pick, I'm going back to the Mountain West Conference. New Mexico State is a 31-point dog at Nevada. New Mexico State is not the best FBS program out there, but they have scored three touchdowns in their last four games, so I think they can get a few points on the board. And then Nevada only averages 32 points a game. I think they'll do more than that on Saturday, but I think that's a really high spread for them to be able to cover.
2: Tyler, what's your fifth pick here?
1: Uh, Last pick for me, staying in the SEC. Arkansas traveling to the Grove, take on Ole Miss. Ole Miss favored by six points in this one. Matt Corral, guys, threw six interceptions against the Razorbacks last year. So combining that and the poor performance last week by the by the Rebels in their loss to Alabama. I think Lane Kiffin and his guys are going to bounce back in a big way uh, at the Grove on Saturday. Arkansas has played two really physical teams the last two weeks, Texas A&M and Georgia, and I think Ole Miss is going to try and turn this into a run-and-gun type game and something Arkansas just can't afford to do. So give me Ole Miss to cover the six points.
2: Yeah, guys, to wrap us up here for me, I'm actually heading down to OU Texas. Uh, and unfortunately, to say it before we lead into our picks, I am taking Texas plus three. Uh, if there's one thing we have learned about this team, they, they do keep winning, but they do not cover. Uh, and so until that starts to change, I got to keep going against the Sooners. It's worked out for me so well the past couple weeks. So Texas plus three, which leads us right into our OU Texas score predictions. Tyler, start us off. What do you see taking place down in Dallas this weekend?
1: Yeah, a couple stats to throw out here to you guys. Uh, In the last nine games of this rivalry, the average margin of victory is right at about a touchdown. And going all the way back to 2,000, the team that wins the turnover battle is 13-6, so you've got to take care of the football. Um, Guys, I've gone back and forth with this one since late Saturday night. Walking out of that game in Manhattan, I was picking Texas. Then Sunday I was on OU. And then after watching the film, I was back on Texas. But today, and again, it's head versus heart. I think this is another one possession ball game uh, that is going to find themselves in. One thing that gives me a little bit of confidence, and again, it's not much, yes, Texas has a very, very good rushing attack. But when you look at the best team that they've played on their schedule, which was Arkansas, They limited Texas to 138 rushing yards. B. John had just 69 yards in that game on 19 carries. And this is going to be the best defense that Texas has faced um, since that game in Arkansas. And for me, it all starts with OU's front seven. Uh, Perrion Winfrey, Isaiah Thomas, Corey Roberson, all those guys right there in the middle. The preseason hype was there. This was expected to be a top two or three defensive line in college football. This is a chance for you to get back on track, make some plays, slow down B. John Robinson. And, guys, like I said, I think this is another one-possession game. And while I don't think OU is going to be able to stop Bijan, I still think he's going to go for 100 to 150 in total yards. But the difference here, I think OU's defense is going to force a couple turnovers from Casey Thompson. And I think that extra one to two possessions is going to be just enough for Spencer in this offense to pull out a close one. So I don't feel good about it whatsoever, but I'm going OU 34 to 28.
0: Man, I wish I could be as optimistic as you, Tyler. Um, it, like you mentioned, it is a head versus heart thing, and my heart wants to pick OU. And I realize maybe I'm a little bit too close to OU, seeing every single play in person, rewatching all the games. I see the good and the bad, and I'm, I'm much more of a critical eye towards that, whereas Texas, I just see you know typically highlights here and there. So um, I, I can't bring myself to pick OU simply because we've seen far too many drives in and field goals. I think that's going to be a killer. And even though OU, you know, is in ranked 14th with a plus five turnover margin, I saw two dropped interceptions um, on Saturday and I just don't have enough faith in uh, the defense to create and, and, you know, uh, keep that turnover margin high, especially knowing that Spencer Rattler is probably good for at least one turnover a game. So I think you know that combined with ending drives and field goals is going to be what uh, what holds this team back from winning on Saturday. I absolutely hope I'm wrong, but I'm going with Texas 31, OU 27. Adam, what's your hat say? It says beat Texas, which is what I want them to do.
1: Okay, just point that out there for the audience that can't see us.
2: <laughs> yeah, you and I, I think, are on the same page. Uh, I think this is the game where... So far this season, OU has kind of just played at the you know skin of their teeth uh, and have gotten by and gotten by and gotten by. I just don't see that taking place this weekend. I do think it's a close game. I think it's a battle throughout. I've got Texas 31. Ou 28. I'm right with you, Adam. Hope I'm wrong here. Um, the good news is, is majority of the years, I convinced myself leading up to the game that Texas is going to whoop our ass and rarely does that happen. Uh, so I just kind of plan for defeat. And so hopefully that, uh, that trend of, of doing so and in, in myself being wrong continues to, uh, to reign through. But, uh, but Tyler, you want to close this out? Yeah, that's
1: going to do it for uh, us on tonight's episode. As always, go follow us on Twitter at the mainline pod one. Also, if you've made it this far, Be sure to like, subscribe, and give us a five-star review. we really appreciate it. It's OU Texas, ladies and gentlemen. Saturday, 11 a.m., inside the Cotton Bowl. It's the greatest rivalry in college football, and this is a big one, Sooner fans. Uh, A chance for Oklahoma to go out and show the country that this is a team capable of living up to those preseason expectations of competing for a national championship. And We can't wait for Saturday to get here, and we can't wait to be back next Tuesday night uh, to break it all down on another episode of the Mainline Podcast.